The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by their hand. Psalm chapter 37, verses 23 and 24. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Our series is called Promises and Power. We've been focusing on Israel capturing the promised land, guided by a new leader, Joshua. In the last episode, you saw the consequences of Achan's disobedience in Joshua chapter 7. Today, we pick back up in Joshua chapter 8 and a message titled, Restoration. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. God is bigger, better, stronger. And so we won't be moved. We continue our series entitled Promises and Power. And you remember what this title represents. When we pursue the promises of God, He provides the power to fulfill His plans. The title to today's message is restoration. You heard last week, which I had planned to be here for, but, but um, I was sick from 11 till the morning and I texted Dear Josh at 6.05 and I said, can you get ready? So, so he is a quick study, thankfully, but you learned from Josh last week that Achan's theft at Jericho violated God's covenant. And his violation was a violation of all of Israel because God viewed his people as one family. And so sin in the midst affected all. And you know what? It does here as well because we are one body. And so we live to the Lord and we disobey and we obey to the Lord. So it's important that all of us walk together because God views us as one family. I'm rumbling some, for some reason back there. I'd like it for my voice to be so timorous, but it isn't. My voice sounds like I'm running scared. But um, So because of Achan's sin, God abandoned Israel in battle at Ai. Now, Achan was forced to confess. We saw that in Joshua 7. And he and his family, who must have conspired in hiding the items, were stoned, their bodies burned, and the stones, and then a pile of stones placed over them. The reason I say that they must have conspired is because Deuteronomy 24, 16 said that parents do not pay for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. So they must have all colluded to hide these items that were stolen. Now, after their death, God's anger subsided. And then it was time to return to battle at Ai with God's help. The theme for today's message out of Joshua chapter eight, and you can see it if you take out your outline, you'll see the theme verse that I've chosen from this chapter. In verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, I will hand the town over to you. Now remember, this is after they had been soundly defeated 
and 36 men have been, were killed. Now, an important lesson for each of us as we begin is when we are facing a challenge. Anybody here facing one? Anybody facing a challenge? Let me see. Let me see. Okay, well, here's the first step in facing your challenge. You must be sure that you are rightly connected to God. If you've indulged disobedience in your life, you must repent and be restored to an intimate, close relationship with God. Then you're ready to face the challenge. So we're gonna look at how our faith is restored. First, by responding to God's differing direction. Chapter eight, page 184 in this Bible available here, and at verse one. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack. Now, the Hebrew actually says, and go up and attack. I don't know why the New Living dropped that out. But in fact, I is 1,700 feet above sea level. So there was a long climb that had to be made to fight this battle. And attack I, which was 15 miles away, for I have given you the king of I, his people, his town, and his land. So God, who was the cause of the previous defeat, now declared that Israel would defeat, they would succeed in battle against I. Verse 2. You will defeat them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time, you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. Now, wonder, what, wonder why they were given the plunder this time, but not the first time. You have to talk louder. I can't hear that voice. The first fruits, who said that? That's a good answer. It was the first fruits. Remember, the, all of these items were declared to be karen in Hebrew. And that meant the first part, the first portion, the tithe, the first fruits, were given over to God. Now, the way God received them was destruction. And he destroyed Everything but what? The precious metals, remember. And they were put in the treasury. And this giving over of the first fruits of the tithe to God only applied to the first city captured in Canaan. And the first city was Jericho. So that one, the first city in the promised land was given over to God. And so now the tithe is satisfied. Wonder what that teaches us though, that whatever we have has been given to us by God. This battle was won, Jericho was won because of God, not because of the soldiers. 
and God was entitled to the first portion. But isn't he entitled to the first portion in our lives as well? It's interesting to note, isn't it, that if Achan had just been patient, if he had waited a few days, he would have had all the plunder he could carry. But he refused to respond to God's direction and he substituted his own desires. Anybody ever done that? God gave a direction, but you didn't like his suggestion or you didn't trust he would carry it out the way you wanted it carried out. So you substituted your own desires. How well did it work out? Can I get a testimony? (laughs) Some of you are ready to jump to your feet, I think. (laughs) Do you trust God to give you what is best for you? Think about it carefully. Do you trust God to give you what is best for you? Do you believe that he knows better than you do what is best for you? You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, seek God's kingdom first and everything that you need will be given to you. We continue at verse three. I'm skipping some, so you'll just have to hang on because just for time, I'm not reading everything here. The latter part of verse three, Joshua chose 30,000 of his best warriors and sent them out at night with these orders. Hide in ambush close to the town and be ready for action. When our main army attacks, the men of Ai will come out to fight as they did before, and we will run away from them. We will let them chase us until we've drawn them away from the town. For they will say, the Israelites are running away from us as they did before. Then, while we are running from them, you will jump up from your ambush and take possession of the town. For the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the town on fire as the Lord commanded. You have your orders. In other words, follow God's directions fully. Is that what we do? Do we follow God's directions fully? If we want restoration, we have to. Now it's interesting, isn't it? This plan relied on the overconfidence of I's soldiers. Because these soldiers, remember they had chased them back down the hill. They killed 36 of them. Could have killed more than that. So I's soldiers were thinking what? What was their attitude? We've got this, yeah. They're overconfident, they're proud, they're arrogant. And anytime we are any of those things, we blind ourselves, don't we? In the failed first attack, which was so different, whose opinion did Joshua follow? Y'all were here last week, weren't you? (laughs) Whose opinion? 
his soldiers, his spies. You see, Joshua consulted the spies he sent out. They came back and they said, ah, this is easy. You only need to send two or 3,000. Don't send everybody, you don't need to. This, is, this battle it just won't take much. And so in that battle, only 3,000 warriors were sent. This time, Joshua listened to God and at verse one, God told him to take how many? God said, take all of them. And he took 30,000. Verse nine. So they left and went up to the place of ambush between Bethel and the west side of Ai. But Joshua remained among the people in the camp that night, a good leader. Early the next morning, Joshua roused his men and started toward Ai, accompanied by the elders of Israel. All the fighting men who were with Joshua marched in front of the town and camped on the north side of Ai with a valley between them and the town. That night, Joshua sent 5,000 to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the town. So Bethel, you see, was involved as well. This is the nearby town. And so the people, these, this 5,000, um, this group of 5,000 soldiers that would form the ambush were hiding. So they stationed the main army north of the, of the town and the ambush west of the town. Joshua himself spent that night in the valley. You, do you see any similarities between this battle plan and the one at Jericho? No. Completely different. Jericho was a week of marches in the daylight with horns blowing. This battle plan was, had a covert night operation where 5,000 soldiers hid, the other ones camped in front of the city with a valley between to lure them out. That group would attack in the daylight and then the ambush would follow up. They're completely different. But the most significant difference wasn't the splitting, dividing of the army or the having the ambush, any of that. The most significant difference was that God would collapse the walls at Jericho and not at Ai. Have you noticed that God does not always do the same thing in your life? Sometimes he knocks down the wall. The other time, he lets you take a swing. Have you noticed that? Sometimes he does it all. And all you have to do is follow. The other time, we don't see any miracle in this battle plan. And God will give differing directions and divergent tactics, even involving the same person. He's changed his methods with you, hasn't he? Because his methods change based on who he's working with and what they need to learn. In other words, their, their place of maturity. I think that sometimes God holds our hands like when you walk with a very small child. 
But those of you with teenagers, you don't hold that child's hand every time he walks, do you? Do you? We step back. And I think God steps back sometimes. And he says, here's your directions, now follow them. You see, the key to victory is to stay near to God, to listen closely to his instructions. Because you see, he is the source of success, not the plan you learned from him. You can compare it to salvation. Salvation is not the result of having the right information. Salvation results from an experiential transformation that results in a permanent relationship. The issue is always the connection to God through Jesus Christ, not the information. So the place where you are right now, are you seeking God's fresh instruction in the challenge you're facing? It might be a challenge with family members. It might be at work. It might be in business. It could be financial. It might be physical, health-wise. Are you seeking God's fresh opinion? Or are you still relying on what he told you many years ago? We also restore our faith by removing our adversaries God's way. Verse 14, when the king of Ai saw the Israelites across the valley, he and all his army hurried out in the early morning and attacked the Israelites at a place overlooking the Jordan Valley. But he didn't realize there was an ambush behind the town. Joshua and their Israelite army fled toward the wilderness as though they were badly beaten like they did the first time. Then all the men in the town were called out to chase after them. In this way, they were lured away from the town. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel. See, the town of Bethel is involved in this battle too. Who did not chase after the Israelites. And the town was left wide open. I wonder how many of us have left our towns wide open to attack. And what I mean is our families, our businesses, ourselves. We have stopped listening to God and we have foolishly left ourselves extremely vulnerable and unprotected. Like I, pride in ourselves Pride in our accomplishments, pride in our ability to not be tempted, pride in our ability to overcome any adversary can blind us and lead us to defeat. Because remember, the real issue in achieving victory is staying connected to God. But how many battles are we fighting on our own? I don't have time to pray because I've got to fight. I don't have time to seek God's word because I've got to do something. But the best thing you can do is pray. 
Verse 18, see, that was a confirmation. (laughs) Verse 18, when the Lord said to Joshua, point the spear in your hand toward I, for I will hand the town over to you. Joshua did as he was commanded. As soon as Joshua gave this signal, all the men in ambush jumped up from their position and poured into the town. They quickly captured it and set it on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them, smoke from the town was filling the sky. What did they think? Oh, no. And they had nowhere to go. For the Israelites who had fled in the direction of the wilderness now turned on their pursuers. Drop to 22. Meanwhile, the Israelites who were inside the town came out and attacked the enemy from the rear. So the men of Ai were caught in the middle with Israelite fighters on both sides. Israel attacked them and not a single person survived or escaped. Only the king of Ai was taken alive and brought to Joshua. Verse 25. So the entire population of Ai, including men and women, was wiped out that day. 12,000 in all. For Joshua kept holding out his spear until everyone who had lived in Ai was completely destroyed. Only the livestock and the treasures of the town were not destroyed. For the Israelites kept these as plunder for themselves, as the Lord had commanded Joshua. Remember, God received his tithe at Jericho. So the Israelites were allowed to plunder the city of Ai. So Joshua burned the town of Ai, and it became a permanent mound of ruins, desolate to this very day. The word Ai in Hebrew means ruin, and this town was destroyed. It was so desolated that archaeologists can't determine for sure where it even stood. Now, you know, we come again to the the violence of this book. And so I want to remind us again, because we can read this and we can get into that dichotomy of, oh, there was an Old Testament God who was in a bad mood, and now we have a New Testament God who's only love. But God hasn't changed. Neither has he matured. And this was not the slaughter of innocent people. This is the judgment of God on an evil society that had long rejected him and had persisted in idolatry, in immorality, and human sacrifice. You see, God hates sin. And God's attitude toward sin hasn't changed. As I've mentioned before in our contemporary American Christianity, we we have domesticated God and we like to dress him up and tell him what he thinks and how he views things. But God hasn't changed. And he does judge sin. Verse 29, Joshua impaled the king of Ai on a sharpened pole and left him there until evening. At sunset, the Israelites took down the body as Joshua commanded, threw it in front of the town gate. They piled a great heap of stones over him 
that can still be seen today. And that was, of course, the day of this book's writing. But this is, was a memorial to Israel's victory. So how did Joshua destroy I? What did Joshua do? He obeyed, and that included holding out a spear. Well, how could that make any difference? You say, well, maybe he held it out to tell them it was, it was time to charge. But no, this says that he held it out until the entire city was vanquished. Because you see, God expects obedience from us because it's what he has asked of us. And he really doesn't give us the opportunity to say, well, I'm not going to do it that way. Because Joshua said, okay, well, they've already, you know, I mean, the, the ambush has already worked and now they're, ter- they're destroying the city and my arm is tired. So can I, can I let down my arm? But God said, keep your arm up. And you know, there may be some of you today, you're tired. You're tired of standing firm. You're tired of speaking to your child. You're tired of, of doing something that you know is dishonest, immoral, wrong, and you're exhausted. God cannot quit. And God's saying, no, you stand firm and I'll bring the victory. See, we have to face our adversaries as God instructs us. And our adversaries, as I said, it it might be people, it could be our own behaviors. Could be my attitude. It could be some addiction that that you've indulged or we've indulged. And, And we say, well, can I just, you know, isn't this really all right? And God says, no. You have to deal with these issues as I direct, with no compromise. And you know, I think Josh talked to you about revival. If we want revival to come, I think it means we all, we all obey. We all follow Christ. We eliminate those things that we know are dishonoring to God. And so we eliminate these adversaries, these problems, these challenges. We eliminate them completely because that's what God says. You see, it's God who identifies sin. It's interesting if you, you know, some of us who have been around a while, 50 years or more, If we could have a view of what our culture looked like in television looked like even 20 years ago, but certainly 50 years ago, we would be shocked by what we see today. But our culture is trying to redefine morality, redefine faith, redefine sin. But God hasn't changed his mind. Did you know that? God hasn't changed his mind. It doesn't matter if Disney has. 
doesn't matter whether the network has, but it might be that we ought to turn some of those things off and start letting in our home what God allows and what honors him and screen out what doesn't because God ultimately decides right and wrong. We might find comfort in a culture that's so vastly immoral. I'm not sure what you could do in our culture today that would be considered sin. The, The line is just moving, moving, moving. But God hasn't changed. And so we have to agree with his determination. And we have to deal with the attitudes and actions that we're indulging in the way that he prescribes. So here's the question. Do I, do you deal with disobedience in our lives as God dictates? We also restore our faith by renewing our covenant with God. Verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, about 20 miles north of of, uh, Ai. He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written in the book of instruction. Make me an altar from stones that are uncut and have not been shaped by iron tools. That's Exodus 20, 25. And the idea is that something that's offered to God isn't created by humans. So, you know, humans would create this artistic altar and they have some pride in it. But what God wants is just a bare, pure stack of stones. Then on the altar, they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And as the Israelites watched, Joshua copied onto the stones of the altar Those stones were covered with plaster, it it tells us in Deuteronomy. The instructions that that Moses had given them. Then all the Israelites, foreigners and native born alike, along with the elders, officers and judges were divided into two groups. One group stood on the front of Mount Gerizim, the other on the front of Mount Ebal. These These two mountains or hills were close together. And these two groups faced each other. And between them stood the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. So God is in the center and his word is in the center. This was all done according to the commands that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had previously given for blessing the people of Israel. And we see this in Deuteronomy 11 and in 27. See, what's happening is this is a ceremony that is a renewal of Israel's covenant with God. It was broken by Achan. And so it has to be reconstituted. A covenant is more than a contract. In a contract, you make certain agreements for a certain time. But that's not what a covenant is. Covenant is. In a covenant, a covenant is a permanent agreement. And it's over a person's total being. A covenant comes from the Hebrew word to cut. And so covenants were established by 
sacrificing animals. Moses sprinkled the blood of animals on the altar and then he, he sprinkled it upon the people who entered the covenant with God at Mount Sinai in Exodus 24. And so the blood seals and sanctifies the people's covenant promises to obey God's command. They were in this valley because it was an amphitheater and so the people could hear as Joshua read. So at verse 34, Joshua then read to them all the blessings and curses Moses had written in the book of instruction, likely Deuteronomy. Every word of every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Now, have you ever wondered that the law of God seems to be repeated a couple of times in the Bible? You ever noticed that? Or have you, you ever tried to read through it and said, I can't get through this? Well, here's why. The word deutero means what? It means second. It means two. So Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law by Moses at the end of his life. He received the law on Mount Sinai in Exodus, but at the end of his life, he's telling all of the law in a sermon, essentially, preaching every bit of it to the people. That's why you see it repeated in the scripture. When Joshua and the Levites read the blessings from obeying God's commands, which is Deuteronomy 28, the tribes that had been put on Mount Gerizim responded with a loud amen, which in Hebrew means so be it. And then when Joshua read the curses that are found in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, the tribes that were put on Mount Ebal, they responded, amen, so be it. So all of Israel heard all of God's teaching, the blessings and the curses, and they are accepting the responsibility of obeying all the law that God had given them through Moses. Well, did these people then obey the law perfectly? Did they? Come on, Summer, what do you think? No, they didn't. So we have a problem, right? What's God going to do? They, he's given them the law, they broke it. He's given it again, they're going to break it again. So what God does is he establishes a new covenant. And this covenant is established not by the sacrifice of animals, by the sacrifice of his son and pouring out his son's blood so that forgiveness could be received not from obedience, but by faith. Jesus' perfect obedience to God's law is credited to those of us who believe. So in the eyes of God, are you perfect? Who th you think you're perfect? Yes, that was a trick question. But y'all missed it about a month ago. <laughs> but now you've gotten it, so I'm, I'm pleased. Yes, because of Christ's 
perfect obedience, we are perfect. Now, some of us go, oh no, well, that's, that's awful. People will just behave terribly. That's not understanding what regeneration is. That's not understanding the motivation for obedience. See, we aren't excused from obedience, but we're not judged for disobedience because Jesus was. And now, because we've been born again, we're enabled to obey the law because the law is no longer written on stone tablets. It's written where? It's written in our hearts. It's written in our minds. And you know what? You follow what's written in your mind and on your heart. Always. It was written by the Spirit when we were born again. So we obey not out of fear of judgment. We obey because of love for the Savior. But when you've been born again, you've been changed. You don't desire to disobey. And if you're at a place today where you're wondering, what can I get away with? You need to ask the Spirit to show you where you are in your relationship with God through Christ. Do you need to renew your covenant? Yes, Christ sealed it, but it's still appropriate to renew it. We renew it by repentance. And we declare that we want to follow Christ, that we want to walk more closely with him. Ask God to show you where you are. Ask God to show you if you need to take a step. There'll be care volunteers will be here. They'll pray with you. They'll talk with you as long as you need. Father, I pray that you would show each of us where we are. We thank you, Lord, that you created a new covenant because we could have never kept the old one. But Father, help us not to presume the sacrifice of your son so that we are careless in the way we live, careless to sin. But Lord, help us be motivated by love to walk closely with you and obey you in all things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Jesus won our greatest battle when he secured victory over sin and death. This week spent time meditating on Romans chapter 6. Thank God for specific ways he's enabled you to overcome sin and regain strength after failure and renew your devotion to him and follow his path for your life. On next week's episode, we'll continue the series, Joshua, Promises, and Power. To prepare, read Joshua chapter 9 through chapter 10, verse 15. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you like the podcast, please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.